Welcome to the Epiphany Movement podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Today's talk comes from Braden Rodriguez and is a special sermon from Five Nights of Prayer. And Drake and I went to MC together, uh, and man, that guy is such... Uh, a blessing to to my soul and to my family. Um, I helped him get through his undergrad, and then he beat me in uh, post uh, post grad uh, stuff. Uh, he got his M MDiv um, before I did. He wrote a book before I did. Um, he didn't beat me in having kids. I'll say that, and I had two at once. And so we're very blessed uh, to have Drake and Cat in our life. And uh, I want to give honor where honor is due, as the scriptures talk about. He's the youngest head pastor I know. And he loves people so well. Uh, he loves his family well. He has a heart for the gospel, a heart for salvation. Uh, and so, man, all honor uh, to your head pastor here uh, in Vaughn, Mississippi. Is that where we're at? That's where we're at. Yeah, only, only, only 100. I'll, I'll have to get the rest later. But um, tonight, uh, he said, hey, man, I want you uh, to talk on whatever you want, but we're in this prayer emphasis. And so... Uh, I love talking about prayer, and I actually love specifically talking about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it's very, uh, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, very near and dear to my heart. I wrote a very long paper on it in school when Drake and I were together, and our teacher did not love my paper, but uh, praise the Lord, God spoke to me through uh, His Word. And so, if you could go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 6, that's where we're going to be for the rest of the night, verses 5 to 13. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I want to look at it in the way of it not being a script. Because so often when you hear the Lord's Prayer, it is just something to recite. It is just this lifeless, in one breath moment that we just say this thing that Jesus said 2,000 years ago and then there's really no thought behind it. I actually feel uh, as if the Lord uh, in this moment is teaching His disciples uh, this heart of prayer, and actually this prayer of desperation, not this lifeless script. And so, uh, anybody know the Lord's Prayer? Anybody? Everybody? Uh, and so, I was 13 years old when I learned the Lord's Prayer, uh, and it was very surprising. I had been in church for quite some time at that point, uh, and it wasn't until 8th grade football where we learned the Lord's Prayer, or, or me, most everybody else on the team knew it, uh, we would have football practice, and at the very end of football practice, we would get in a huddle. Uh, we would, you know, all of this high emotion, high energy uh, on the football field, and it'd be like, all right, let's break it down. And we would start in unison, our Father who art in heaven, right? And here's really confusing. Uh, the really confusing part about the Lord's Prayer is you never know if it's going to be in KJV or modern English. And so you really never know when someone gets started. It could be some these, thous, and arts in there, or it could be really normal. But what I did know about the Lord's Prayer was that it ended this way. Uh, for His kingdom be the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Dogs on three. One, two, three dogs. And that was attached to the Lord's Prayer for me. Even as I pray through it uh, almost daily now, I'm still reminded of how when I was 13 years old, I learned this prayer on the football field. And it was attached to this moment of dogs on three. One, two, three dogs and it's actually pretty comedic uh to me and it's funny to me because as a believer I had no idea the significance 
And I just was like, yeah, this is great, right? We're praying on the football field, and then we're going to go eat two lunches because the lunch ladies love us, right? And so this was how I got acquainted to the Lord's Prayer. But I think Jesus wants a lot more for us tonight as we learn the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll start Matthew chapter 6. Listen to this first warning that Jesus gives us. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, they may, so they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you go and pray, go into a room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so, as I read this portion of the passage... I hear this warning of Jesus saying, hey, don't say a lifeless prayer when you pray. Hey, when you pray, don't pray pridefully as it is so often done before a football game or after a funeral. When you pray, it shouldn't be this public show, but rather it should be in your secret heart. And he actually says, go into a room, shut the door, be by yourself. Not that there's not moments for public prayer. I think those are special things. Not that I don't think there's moments of prayer with family. I think those are special things. But I think Jesus is speaking to the heart of the matter and saying that it's desperate and it's personal. He says, when you go, uh, find your Father in secret. And I think this is Him telling us to seek God. Why? Because He also says that when you seek the Lord, you'll find Him. And So where do we start in prayer? Where do we start uh, in the Lord's Prayer? It's on our knees. It's seeking the Father in in private heart because when we seek God, it says we will find God. And I think Leonard Ravenhill's quote uh, about prayer from one of his uh, earlier sermons uh, long ago, it goes like this. I think it kind of gets the heart of what Jesus is trying to get across. He says, prayer, all earthly things on earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. I'm convinced of this. God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position on your knees. Prayer is not a position. It is a disposition. You, get, you would get to the place where you would rather sweat and rather weep in His presence, talking about the Lord, than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you than someone give you all the prizes that the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have prayer it will last longer than anything why because the one that we pray to is an eternal father that lasts forever every person on earth will fade away prayer will last prayer is a privilege why because it is god of the universe speaking directly to us straight to our hearts we would get to the place where we would rather talk to the lord whether it be a good or bad thing than laugh and be in the presence of anyone else. Why? Because He loves us that much, and the God of the universe wants to speak to us. So I think this is what Jesus is really getting to when He recites the Lord's Prayer, when He teaches His disciples to pray. They say, teach us to pray. And He says, okay, then pray like this. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. And I think we could stop there, right? Drake only gave me 15 minutes, so we'll have to power through the rest. In verse 9, our Father. The Greek word here that is used for Father, you've probably heard, is Abba. It means this 
very personal, uh, endearing term towards God. It's like as if uh, your dad came into the room and you just said daddy. And so when he says pray, he says pray like this. Pray personally. Pray personally to the God that is in heaven. And for a guy like me who didn't grow up with his biological father around, that's a hard part of the prayer for me. It's actually very easy for me to glance by this prayer. But the scripture says in the Psalms that he is the father to the fatherless. He is better than any earthly father could be. Right? It also talks about in the New Testament. He said, what good father of you when your child asks you for bread would give him a rock? Right? Or fish and you would give him a scorpion or a snake. How much more does our heavenly father love us? So he starts to flip the script on everybody. He says, pray personally to dad. Pray personally to our father psalm 116 verse 2 he says because he has inclined his ear to listen to me therefore i will call on him as long as i live other translations say because he bends down to listen to me i will pray as long as i have breath and i think this is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to pray to a father so often uh the the bible uses very odd terms like incline an ear what does incline an ear look like it looks like this it looks like a daughter many of you probably have children if not uh, one day you might. Many of you, it's like this. It's like a little girl walking across the room and tugging on her father's shirt when the room is full of his adult friends. What does he do? He says, no, get away. No, he bends down. And what does he do? He cups his hands to his ear to listen to this shy little girl. That is what it looks like to incline an ear. And so therefore, I will pray as long as I have breath. Why? Because Dad, God, Abba, Father, would get up out of his chair in heaven and cup his hands to his ears and listen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is this idea of being set apart and being holy. So when we pray to God, we pray to a holy and set apart God, though he is very near and very dear to us. Call on him for what he is worth and not what we think he is worth. So often when God doesn't do something in our timing, we... uh, shortchange God in our prayers or we're angry with him call God for what he is worth and who he is that is a set apart holy God I was reading through the Psalms uh, I think last week and I read this Psalm where it says the depths of the ocean and the heights of the mountains are in God's hands man that is beautiful he is so massive he is so loving and he is gracious and merciful and in the New Testament revelation it uh, has this prayer at the end, blessings, honor, glory, and power to who God forever and ever. Amen. So hallowed be your name. So when you pray, you pray to a personal God and you pray to a holy God. And then it continues on this prayer of desperation. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth it is as it is in heaven. This is a prayer that God, you would do what you want to do in my life. God, you bring your kingdom and your rule in my life, you bring your will and your way in my life. Nothing more, nothing less. God, you direct every step that I have, whether it be hard or whether it be easy. We see that the disciples, they don't so often get the easy road, right? People come up, Jesus, I want to follow you. All right, brother, you can follow me, but I don't have a place to lay my head tonight. Foxes and birds do, I don't. And so sometimes when we come to the Father and we say, Lord, have your will in my life. God, bring your reign on my life. God, you become the King and Savior and Lord of my life. It might call us to be a little uncomfortable. My wife and I are moving to Ohio. That's 12 hours from our family here. 
That is very uncomfortable. We thought it was uncomfortable to move two and a half hours to South Louisiana where I still had family and friends. Now we're going thir- uh, was it like 12 hours, 15 from Louisiana, 12 hours away though from our family. We're essentially starting back at zero. It's uncomfortable sometimes to ask God to have his will and his way. But it's an encouraging thing oftentimes. Why? Because it says in Isaiah, his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And into the one that can do abundantly more than we ask or think. He has got our best interests at heart, whether that be moving to Ohio or moving down the street here in Vaughan, Mississippi, and just being faithful to what he's given. He moves on in the prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Scholars debate on whether daily bread means today's bread or tomorrow's bread. But I'm here to tell you the debate is no longer a hard debate. Why? Because it is a prayer of full reliance. Whether I ask God to give me exactly what I need in bread today or tomorrow, that means I still have to come back. I still have to come back the next day. God, give me today's bread. God, give me exactly what I need. Nothing more, nothing less. Is a picture of what God did for his people in Exodus in the Old Testament. But it's this prayer to Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. It's a prayer to the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's the one that Jesus says that, man, when you're worried about your clothes and when you're worried about your food, how about you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And all those clothing and food things that you're worried about will be added back to you. I love this prayer of asking the Lord to give us exactly what we need. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you will uh, be satisfied. And when he says life here, he's not talking about just being alive. He's talking about this vibrant, full, satisfied life in him. Then he continues on after this prayer of provision for today in the physical sense. He then says, God, forgive us of our sins or our debts or our trespasses, depending on what version you look at. This is a prayer of spiritual provision, a desperate prayer of spiritual provision. Why? Because it says that we are dead to sin. And now we need a heavenly Savior who died on a cross for us to make us alive. This is a prayer of spiritual provision. And then he says this, he says, forgive us of our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. And this is a hard part of the prayer. It's probably the hardest part of the prayer because so often the culture will tell us, man, if they wrong you, just write them off. Be angry with them. The way I read this prayer is, God, forgive me as I forgive people. So if I'm unforgiving and angry towards people, God, put that same judgment back on me. You be angry with me and my sin against you, right? And so there are moments where you might even be justified in your anger, right? That person did do something to wrong you. Maybe they did steal from your business or maybe they did say that thing that was a lie and slander your name. And man, you would be right to be angry. But know this, even when Jesus was right to be angry with us, what does he do? He gives us grace. and He gives us mercy. So Father, forgive me of my sins. God, be gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love to me. And God, change my heart to be like that. So that when people sin against me, that I would be gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. When I pray daily, I pray that God fill me with His Spirit and fill me with the fruit of the Spirit. 
Galatians chapter 5, 22, verse, uh, 22 and 23. What? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against uh, these uh, things there is no law. So, Father, fill me with those things so that when people come against me, I can treat them as you have treated me. And he finishes here. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It can be translated this way. Don't even let us be tempted. God, the same things that I just asked you to forgive me of, the lust, the pride, the anger, the greed. God, uproot those things from my life. Yes, forgive me. But God, don't even let me be tempted by those things any longer. And then he finishes with this idea of the spiritual battle. It says in the Scriptures, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spirits and dark rulers and principalities of this current age. God, deliver me from the hands of the evil one. God, I know that I'm fighting a battle that is not my own. It's a spiritual battle. I'm very encouraged when I read the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it talks about how God fights for us. Exodus 14, 14. Let God fight for you. You have only to be silent. King David, God, should we go out and fight the Philistines? Wait, God says, until you hear my footsteps in the trees. And when you hear my footsteps, come down. Fight, follow me into battle. The prophet and his servant. Man, there's, the, the armies are surrounding us. The prophet prays for his servant. He says, Lord, open his eyes. And what happens? God opens his eyes and he sees the God's armies wrapped around this physical army and this physical enemy. We fight a spiritual battle, church. And here Jesus says, realize this, is that there is an evil one and man, God can deliver you from him. So when we read or we quote this Lord's prayer, it's not a lifeless prayer. It's not a dead prayer. It's a prayer of desperation. It's a prayer of power. And it's very encouraging to me, at least, now that I know what the Lord is speaking. And so I'd ask that everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. I just want you to contemplate for just a moment what the Lord may be speaking to you. If you're a believer in the room, I would ask that tonight you would pray through each uh, line of this prayer to a very near God. Give Him thanks for what He's worth. That you would pray that He would give you exactly what you need. Spiritual provision. That He would forgive you of sins. Make you forgiving. and That He would deliver you from the evil one. Maybe if you don't know Jesus personally, maybe prayer has not meant anything to you your entire life, I'll say this. God wants to talk to you. He created you and He loves you. So tonight, for the first time, would you ask Jesus to be your King? Pray for us and then we'll continue on in worship. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for being our gracious dad that loved us so much God to save us from our sins and God that you would teach us how to talk to you 